All right, y'all, welcome to another episode of the Good News Cast. Um, today, what we are going to do is a, talk about, tackle a uh, tough theological topic. Okay. We're going to talk uh, total depravity. Ooh. Um, so, we're going to do, we've done uh, devil's advocate episodes before where I kind of um, play the devil's advocate, try to ask tough questions or, or whatever, bring the opposite perspective. Yes. The wrong opinion. Maybe I could be the. No. Devil's advocate no. on this one, dude. Well, you could. Yes, but, I might uh, have. One I for trust you. you more than I trust me to be able to communicate. Uh-huh. Well, I just did this with the youth, so I actually do have some scriptures in mind. That's you whatever. Do. Okay. Uh, so yeah, total depravity. Yep. Sin. What is that? Um, here's what Oof. I've been hearing, Jeff. To bring this from, to play devil's advocate. Yeah. I've been hearing that you believe, and you weirdos at Redeemer believe <laughs> and teach and preach. Uh-huh. That oh and by the way if I sound nasally it's because I am moving on, uh, you guys teach something like I've heard total depravity and I think that the effect of that is like we're like super super sinful man like some of the other churches teach that we're sinful you guys seem to teach we're like super super sinful and I've I've heard some weird rumor that you think that like someone only comes to believe in Jesus and trust in Jesus um, if like God does a major work in their life and maybe gives them faith as opposed to letting them choose mm. if they want to believe in Jesus yeah. or not. Yeah, that's okay? good. So, okay. And I know this has to do with your understanding of sin and total depravity and our condition. Right. So to me... It sounds like what you're saying is God violates our will and basically we're robots and um, and that's what it means that he has to give us faith as opposed to treating us as humans and letting us choose. Yeah, that's so, good. Man, I have so many things circling around my head right now, but let's just start with a, a couple of things. First, wouldn't you agree that like a fish is free to be a fish, but a, a fish is not free to... Uh, come out of the water like a dog and try to be a dog. So there is some sort of limitation uh, to whatever uh, we describe as freedom. So freedom uh, has a nature component. So uh, a fish is free to be a fish. A dog is free to be a dog. A dog's not free to be a leopard and a leopard's not free to be a fish. Correct? Okay. So that's one thing that goes in my mind. And the other thing that goes in my mind is um, the Bible describes sin. It's common today to talk about sin as something we do. Uh, We tend to think of the things we do or the things we don't do as being the primary definition of sin. Uh, But the Bible talks about, certainly, those are sins, acts of sin, uh, lying, adultery, so on and so forth, right? Uh, Murder. Um, But the Bible talks about sin in a more comprehensive and more diabolical way. Hmm. Uh, It talks about sin not primarily as something we do, but something we're in and something we need to be rescued from. So if we kind of the the illustration that uh, seems to help me the most in understanding this is, let's say you're drowning, Colin. Uh, and you're going under once, going under twice. The third time is not a good one. You're you're done. You're you're going to drown. And uh, the Coast Guard, the Salvation Coast Guard, comes in to your rescue. And Jesus is on the bow of the ship, and he has a, a life preserver, and he throws it out to you while you're drowning. And what does he say to you? This is pretty common. 
uh, presentation of how we understand someone becoming a Christian and how we understand sin. You're drowning in your sin. Jesus throws a life preserver out to you in the front of the ship, and then it's landing right next to you, and he says, all you have to do is grab it. Yeah, grab it, it, believe, and I'll pull you in. Grab it, and I'll pull you in. And we understand faith to be that grabbing it. And then he pulls us in and rescues us, and and that's how salvation comes to us. We become a Christian. Uh, But then there's only one problem with that, and I am fully willing to actually believe that. If that's what the Bible's teaching, I'm all in, mm-hmm. and I'll I'll believe it and teach it for the rest of my life. I just don't know how to get around Ephesians 2, where it doesn't say that you're drowning in sin. It says, and you were dead in mm-hmm. sin. So the, the image of the Bible is not that you're drowning. You're actually at the bottom of the ocean, dead. And then Jesus jumps down into the water and actually takes your place in the watery grave. Uh, He actually resuscitates you and makes you alive in his resurrection and in his death, taking your place, and then breathes new life into you by the power of his spirit. And the first sound that comes out of a new creature that's been born again is the cry of faith. So it seems that scripture supports and is more persuaded by that view than the other view. So that's how I would begin to tackle uh, tackle this particular topic. So you said that Ephesians 2 says that we're dead in our sins, and you said you can't get around Ephesians 2. And I'd say if you want to get around it, just don't read it, okay? (laughs) Uh, Right. But but, uh, you said we're dead, but I was definitely not dead before I became a Christian. I was not dead. So you're going to have to explain a little bit more of what that deadness that really dead, means because, yeah. and I'll add this, Yeah. when I was at youth camp, the mm-hmm. pastor preached the gospel and he said, listen, if you want to choose to believe in Jesus, everybody close your eyes, bow your heads and raise your hand. And I chose to believe in Jesus. Hmm. So sure, I was, I was a sinner, right? but... You got to explain what dead means because like I didn't feel dead. Yeah. And that preacher gave me a choice to believe in Jesus and I chose to believe in Jesus and I raised my hand and mm-hmm. I think that that was Jesus throwing me that life preserver which was hey, that sounded pretty biblically sound that illustration that first one you gave that you tore apart. Uh he threw that <laughs> preserver out to me and yeah. and I chose it. So I don't understand what it means that I was dead. Yeah. Okay, that's good. So, um, the the reality of sin again, if we if we think and focus more on the fact that we're in sin than that we do sin, and that we do sin because we're in sin. Well, you would agree that basically, like we're good people who sin. Yes, we make mistakes, but basically, right. in our hearts, we're good. We yeah. just sometimes choose bad. Right? Yeah. Would that, you agree with that? No, the, the Bible would not agree with that. Okay. I'm sorry, Colin. I'm going to step on your shoes and hopefully not mess up your shine here. But it's, it's the Bible describes us as actually being a 
spiritual zombie mm-hmm. that we're physically alive but we're spiritually dead we're just not there spiritually we are devoid of spiritual life that mm-hmm. sin ultimately when the first human beings turned away from god i mean if you turn away from from life itself what is there death i mean it's that's all there is there's an active negation of life and it's an active power there's death if you turn away from light what is there there's darkness the active negation of light you turn away from love itself which is all these things are god is light god is life god is love you turn away from god there uh what do you have you have rejection loneliness you have this disintegration of the interpersonal you right um sin is describing that turning away of wanting to basically take God's place as your own God, as your own Savior, as your own judge, as your own life, as your own light, as your own love. You want to be your own creator and create uh, your identity and create truth and create a meaningful life. Uh, But there is nothing outside of God but the negation of who God is, and that's the wrath of God, that's the justice of God. Uh, We're told that uh, Paul says, listen, the wrath of God is actually God letting you go, letting you have what you want. If you don't want light and you turn away from light, you get darkness. And that's why the Bible says the wages of sin, what's packed into sin itself of turning away from life itself is death. So let's Let's establish what sin is first. It's not primarily something you do. It's primarily something you're in. And because you're in it, you do these things. So the Bible describes us as being totally, absolutely spiritually dead, not physically Mm -hmm. dead. Uh, But the full penalty of sin will be one day comprehensive, and it'll also include our physical death um, and an eternal death, right, of always separated from God Mm -hmm. in the comprehensiveness of your whole being. So we're in it. We've done and uh, we've turned away from God. We're in sin. So that's, that's how we are. We're physically alive, spiritually dead, uh, unable um, to pull ourselves out of death. It would be like um, a sinner is standing in the swamp and he's grabbing himself by the top of his hair, and he's trying to pull himself out of the swamp. It's impossible mm. for a dead person who's spiritually dead to s- resuscitate themselves. Mm-hmm. I mean, we've never seen it happen yet physically, mm-hmm. uh, except for one person, mm-hmm. right? Um, so that's probably where we would go with what is the nature of sin and what's the nature of this death? So spiritual, a spiritual death where in the illustration, Jesus throws the life preserver, but there's not spiritual life there to even know you need it. Correct. In fact, you're on the bottom of the ocean. So again, you're not drowning. You're actually down at the bottom and Jesus has to do more than throw you a life preserver. He actually has to go down and take your place. Yeah. Because you're dead at the bottom. You would never even know. No, You, you don't know. And further, this makes sense to me. I'm playing devil's advocate here, but um, uh, you, you wouldn't know. You would never want it. In fact, you would even, you, you know, I've heard you guys, uh, yeah. again, play devil, devil's advocate here. I've heard you guys in the reformed world even talk about, like, we are enemies of God. We're hostile to God. That even 
even if we're like left with a choice, we would never want him. And I've heard yeah. it explained that this freedom, the reason we're not free in the right sense to believe in Jesus is because at our core, we would never want that. Correct. We are yeah. in our deadness. We are hostile to him. It's really good. So we'll go back to that nature of the fish. So the free, mm-hmm. the fish is free to be a fish, right? Uh, a spiritually dead person is free to be a spiritually dead person. Mm-hmm. So what does a spiritually dead person want? What is the realm of options within his or her field of choice? Uh, a spiritually dead person only wants spiritual death mm-hmm. realities, right? And that's what this word total depravity is getting at. It's getting at that every fast, every part of us as a human being is is broken and fallen and dead. We're like mm-hmm. a corpse sealed in a tomb. Does that mean our brains don't work and our mental faculties don't work and that we're not physically that of course that's not what's being talked about. It's talking about describing this alienation from God that happened with the first human beings and cast the whole human race into this realm of the dead, right? Um on total depravity. Yeah. It sounds like what you're saying what you just said was that, you know, in, in every aspect of our being, we are depraved and sinful and corrupt. There's not this island of goodness in us. It's not like our intellect is holy, but our emotions or desires are right. good uh, or bad. Right. It's in every aspect. Are we as bad as we could be? Is total depravity saying, yes. I am exhausting evil in every single way in my existence that I could? Yeah, the no, it's not saying that. What it is saying is that the image of God has been defaced, but not completely erased. So the fact that we're still, I mean, we need to recognize that the fact that any human being right now is still a living, breathing creature, that the, that the full comprehensive condemnation uh, is not like evident mm-hmm. everywhere right now, that we're all not eternally, comprehensively condemned and dead and all the full sense of what death is, physical, eternal, spiritual, forever and ever, uh, is because uh, when in the beginning, the day you eat of it, you will die, uh, that was postponed uh, because, because God was entering uh, a relationship with this world that is being maintained right now by grace um, and is fully... Uh, consummated in grace when he sends his own son. So the mere fact that the world still exists, that there is still uh, a creation that's not fully condemned, that there are still human beings that are not fully condemned, uh, is grace. And theologians have called this many things throughout church history. One of them is common grace, um, and that the reality of being an image bearer is that it's not completely erased. And so the, the good, the beautiful, and the true that is stamped by the mere fact inherent in the creation is still uh, in types and shadows and still in patterned there. Uh, and we as human beings uh, still have a sense of... Uh, the spiritual fabric of the universe of God's law, his righteousness, his goodness is woven into our nature. We, we know that the things that we do are not good, right? We have this conscience that seems to convict us. Um, and, 
and gets inflamed mm-hmm. when we know we're acting contrary to being a human being, in other words, acting sinfully. Um, so are we totally, completely in our final state of total depravity in terms of comprehensively? No, um, because God graciously intervened and said, I'm going to put enmity, I'm going to, I'm going to break up this alliance between the snake and the man and the mm-hmm. woman. I'm going to break up this unholy uh, covenant, this unholy relationship that's been established with this fallen, sinful world and creatures, and I'm going to bring in another Adam, a perfect human being, who will be the substitute, who will take your place on the cross, and who will rise uh, from the dead and take you with him. So that's why, um, commonly speaking, uh, this world is not as bad as it can be because God has not allowed it to go to its final destination of sin. One uh, illustration I share with the youth, and then I'll put the devil's advocate hat back on and ask you one final question. Mm-hmm. And I've heard this, I, I read this in a book a long time ago concerning are we as bad as we could be, but I think also a follow-up question of if we're really totally depraved and sinful and everyone, why is there so much good stuff that happens on the planet and among humans who are not Christians? Um, and I shared with this with uh, this illustration with the youth about a you get dropped onto a ship, a, yeah. a, a ship out in the ocean, and you're with this community of 30, 50, 60 people, a big ship, whatever. And they're the nicest people you've ever met. They all share everything. They all take care of one another. It's, it is literally the greatest community of people you've ever been a part of. You're like, if there's such thing as good people, this is it. This is it. And then you find out that it's a pirate ship in utter rebellion against the king and the king's kingdom. And so you realize that all of the goodness you saw, all the kindness, all the sharing, all the love was all purposed towards ultimately greater rebellion against the king and the kingdom. That's really good. So they are kind to one another because they know that they can function better ultimately even as rebels. So their whole existence, even with the kind of the micro goodness happening, the macro, the ultimate existence is in utter constant rebellion against the king. Um, I think that's helpful. I think I think it's a helpful illustration. Very helpful. Of yeah. well, if we're totally depraved, and if sin if sin really is pervasive, yeah, as pervasive as the Bible says, why does it look like there's? Why would anybody ever give money to a charity? Yeah, I can think of a ten corrupt reasons to give money to a charity off the top of my head. Right. You know. Right. Um, the corrupt the corruption deep down in our hearts, the corruption yeah. hidden away in our minds. Right. Okay. Uh-huh. So last question. Yeah. Um, if um, if it's true of what you said, where where does faith come from? Hmm. Where does faith come from? Do we choose totally on our own to believe yeah. in Jesus? Because that's what all these preachers are always telling me at youth camp. You know, make the choice to yeah. believe. Yeah. Um, or is it a gift from God? Is it something God gives us? And if God gives us, there's a kind of follow-up to add into your answer. How is that not like, I don't know, just like totally violating my will yeah. or turning me into a robot? Yeah, that's really good. So most of the times we talk about faith today, it seems like faith is like a rabbit in a magic hat. You know, you kind of reach in, pull the pull the magic rabbit out, pull the 
magic faith out of this hat that just kind of pops out of nowhere. So our understanding of faith right off the bat is kind of weird. It's kind of wonky. It's like the substance or it's just like this magic trick we do or mm -hmm. some, some substance, some, some quantifiable thing out there that, that we leverage or activate or pull out of a magic hat. Um, faith is, is none of that according to the Bible. Uh, faith is, uh, it's this, it's this resting. And, and ultimately the question of life is, uh, is there a savior? Uh, is Jesus, did Jesus rise from the dead? Is he who he says he is? And is he the savior? Uh, is he the one that deals with my sin? Is he the one that deals with my absence of righteousness and actually gives me his own obedience and perfection and perfect human life? Uh, and then he conquers all the dark powers of sin and death and condemnation and guilt and the law and conquers them by rising from the dead. And is he the savior? Is he the king? Uh, or am I going to be my own savior? Am I going to deal with my own sin? Am I going to pay the penalty for my own sin? Am I going to try to establish a righteousness of my own as the means by which I'm finally and fully acceptable and welcomed? whether to God, if I believe in God, or some force out there, or just to myself, or before other people, or some, some law according to whatever religion I follow, or, or some irreligious law like some notion of success, I finally have achieved it, attained it. So ultimately it comes down to who's going to play the Savior, who's going to play the Lord, who's going to play the King, who's going to play God in my life. That's a big thing. Uh, so faith is saying, and faith is realizing that, it's realizing I'm either going to trust in myself to deal with my sin, trust in myself to generate an identity and create an existence and create meaning in this life. Uh, I'm going to trust in myself to play God, to be more than uh, what the scriptures seem to communicate a human being is supposed to be and was designed to be, or do I trust in the Savior to deal with my sins, the real Savior, and trust with Him to give me His own established righteousness, His own work. So faith in this understanding, according to the Bible, is not a magic hat, it's not a rabbit, it's not a substance, it's not a magic trick, um, it's not this quantifiable thing out there that you activate or turn on, it's what the heart does when it rests and relies and hopes and loves and trusts something. So it's more of a, uh, an instrumental reality that I'm not going to trust in myself, but I am going to trust in Jesus. That's, that's faith. So then the question becomes, well, how, how does that awareness of, oh, wow, uh, I'm a sinner, I'm in need, I'm in the swamp, I can't pull myself out, um, I'm spiritually dead, I, blind, I didn't even know it. I mean, how does that kind of awareness happen? And then how does this kind of awareness happen that, uh, that oh, Jesus is the Savior, he's, he's the King, he's the Lord, uh, oh, my word, this is who God really is. How does that happen? Um, and that's where the Bible communicates over and over again. And this is what's hard, I think, for, 
for many of us, but is so breathtakingly beautiful for many of us as well, is that uh, grace is describing the work that God does, this, this attitude he has towards us, this love that he has towards broken, fallen, sinful people that can't, that are not only in it, but they can't get themselves out of it, that are not only in it, but they can't clean themselves up, they're not only in it, but they continue to just make themselves dirtier and uglier as time goes on and wreck everything they touch in terms of spiritually and in their relationships, that he loves us, that he loves sinners. And he sends his son not only to take our place and save us, but he, he then uh, has this, this message uh, about what Jesus has done called good news. And the Bible tells us it's the power of God for our salvation, that this good news, actually, when you hear it, it calls you from death to life. So you got that, there's a story in the Bible where one of Jesus' best friends is dead. He's been dead in the tomb for several days, and he he was friends with the sisters of this dead guy named Lazarus, and the whole town's mourning and weeping, and Jesus is weeping at the loss and the death. And then he asked the sisters, where, where is he buried? And they're kind of confused, and they say, well, you know, he's over in the tombs, you know, and he's been there for a while. You don't want to go see him. You, the smell is, it, the smell will be devastating. You don't want to. And he goes, show me where he's at. And as he heads towards the tomb, he does this absolutely incredible thing. He calls Lazarus by name and says, Lazarus, come out. And he does. A dead man heard him. And that's what the Bible teaches. So when even way back in the beginning, we know this to be true. When God said, let there be light, light didn't say, let me think about it. Mm-hmm. Um, in the gospel, in the scriptures, we're told that Jesus actually shows up and calls people from death to life. And he actually calls you by name. We know this is true too. Like remember the guy with the, there's a person that had a maimed hand, a crippled hand, and and Jesus walked up to him and said, stretch forth your hand. I mean, that's absolutely cruel Mm -hmm. to tell a dude that's, he can't. <laughs> He's disabled. Why are you commanding him to do something he cannot do? But what if the command or the word actually does what it says? Mm-hmm. Now we're in a whole new realm, and faith basically happens because Jesus shows up in the good news. Mm-hmm. He says, uh, dead Jeff, dead Lazarus, dead Colin, come forth. We actually have our eyes opened. We actually uh, are made even new. Mm-hmm. And the first effect of a cause of grace and a change and being brought from death to life is faith. So yes, so then in that way of understanding faith, faith becomes the act, the first act of someone that's been made new of the grace of God being wrought on them. To wrap this up, I was just thinking, God loves us too much to leave salvation in the hands of a dead person, according to Ephesians 2, right? To leave salvation from, you know, the uh, ocean of death in the hands of someone who's dead at the bottom of the ocean. I'll just leave it in your hands. I'll step back, cross my fingers, and hope that you grab the life preserver that you are unaware of. And uh, in fact, the Bible would go so far as to say that you actually hate. Yeah. You want nothing to do with it. Yep. You'd rather live in the darkness. 
um, uh, total depravity. We're not, it's not saying we're as bad as we could be. It is saying we are corrupt. Um, as theologians of old have said, we are corrupted by sin in every aspect of our being. We all, that's all we want. We don't want God, um, presented with the gospel apart from God's power. We don't want it. Mm -hmm. Paul, I think, calls it the aroma of death to sinners dead, you know, who are dead in sin. Um, And it's by the power of God um, working through and with, according to the power of the gospel and his message that we are, as Ephesians 2 goes on to say, made alive. Paul in Ephesians 2, that, I mean, Ephesians 2 is just so core to this understanding. He says, you are dead in your sins and trespasses. And then he goes on to say, but God being rich in mercy, um, made you, made us alive. Mm-hmm. That's it. And then he summarizes it for by grace, you've been saved. This is what salvation by grace is. Yeah. Um, uh, and we trust him because it's a, it's a gift from him. Um, all right. Hopefully this was helpful. We'll, we'll keep doing some of these tough, uh, topics, tough theological topics, try to put them in some conversational format as how they can play out on the ground in real life with friends, family, things like that. Um, as always, if you guys have suggestions on topics, things like that, Uh, Just holler at us.